So in this making a stand with Jesus Christ, we found out why Jesus has you stand. He has you stand to prove something. He has you stand to do something. We found out what you're standing for. You're standing for faith. You're standing for liberty. You're standing for biblical traditions. You're standing to proclaim the gospel. Making stand for Jesus Christ, just simply just proclaiming the gospel message of Jesus Christ. These sound like easy things, but they're not easy. And it's so, it's so amazing how I'm a preacher. I feel like I'm called by God to be a preacher. I preach twice a week. I'm in my Bible every day of the week. And even then, when I'm confronted with an opportunity to witness to somebody... I still, have, uh, I still have fights with the devil, with the world, with, with my flesh, mainly. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Because we, we're standing to do that. Okay, the third thing we found out is standing brings persecution. That was a real barn burner of a Wednesday night service. I'm lucky y'all came back after that one because there's nothing good about that. And then the fourth one we found out about was the benefits of persecution. There's real, true benefits to being persecuted. We studied that last Wednesday. And tonight, that leads us to the fifth one. This one we're going to study for a while. This is the main one we're going to look at, is the forms of persecution. What do you have to look forward to when you make a stand with Jesus Christ? That way, you, this is stuff you can look forward to, knowing that it's coming. Expect it. Know it's what, what to expect. And then we'll talk about when you see all this happening to you, what do you do then? How do you handle it? And we'll deal with that. That's be the last thing we study. So we're looking at the forms of persecution. When you make a stand with Jesus Christ. So where, do these per, where does this persecution come from? Where does this persecution come from? It's going to come from three places. It's going to come, this, your three enemies. And I've, I've preached on this, I don't know how many times. It's going to come from the world. It's going to come from the devil. Or it's going to come from... You, your flesh. The last enemy is you. So the three enemies that's going to persecute you is the world. That's the main one we think about. We think about the world's going to persecute us, and they do. Secondly, the devil. Thirdly, ourselves. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you so much, Father, for your grace and mercy. Lord, I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit will lead us tonight, Lord. Give us what we need, Lord. Help us to make that stand for you, Lord, and... Father, I pray, Lord, that we can understand how we're going to be persecuted, from where we're going to be persecuted, and, Lord, what to expect, Lord, when we make a stand for Jesus Christ. None of this is easy, Lord. We've, we've already went through those verses. We've already looked at your Bible, Lord. We know that to make a stand for you, Lord, is going to cost us, Lord. But it's worth the cost. But, Lord, help us to understand this as we go a little deeper into how we're going to be persecuted and from where. In Jesus Christ's holy name I pray. Amen. So, starting in Luke chapter 12, we're going to talk about the world. Now, when I say the world, I mean your family, your friends, your co-workers, just about the government, that's the world. Just about anybody that's not the devil or you, that's the world. Amen? You get that? Okay. Luke chapter 12, look down at verse 51. That's where we're going to begin. Verse 51. This is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is a verse that a lot of people don't know is in their Bible. A lot of Christians don't know is in their Bible. And this is not a Jesus that they're used to. Look at verse 49 and get the context. I am come to send fire on the earth. That's Jesus Christ. I am come to send fire on the earth. And what will I if it be already kindled? But I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how am I straightened till it be accomplished? He's talking about the baptism of suffering. 
It's one of the seven baptisms in the Bible. He's not talking about going and being rebaptized in the water. He's talking about the baptism of suffering. He's going to be suffering. He's going to suffer for the world. And notice in verse 51, Suppose ye that I am come to give peace on the earth? I tell you nay, but rather division. <laughs> the dirty word that the world don't like. The world don't like division. The world don't like to be division. All the world does is preach peace, peace. Can't we all get along? Can't we all get? They, they want everything to be together. They want unity. They want all of this big melting pot. They want us all to get along. They don't work that way. And Christ will tell you it's not going to work that way. Suppose you that come to give peace on the earth. I tell you nay, but rather division. Christ came to divide people. I'm just letting it sink in a little bit. Jesus Christ said he came to divide people. So when you start stake, making that stand for Jesus Christ and your friends start dividing you away, your family starts dividing you away, your coworkers start dividing you away, start putting you in this little niche or whatever they have for you, you know that you're making a stand for Jesus Christ. Suppose ye that I come to give peace on the earth? That's a good question to ask anybody. Hey, did Jesus come to bring peace on the earth? And they'll probably say, yeah. I say, well, you're wrong. He said no. Luke 12, 51. Why? Verse 52. For from henceforth there shall be five in one house divided, three against two, two against three. The father shall be divided against the son, and the son against the father, the mother against the daughter, and the daughter against the mother, the mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. There it is. When you receive Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, and you start making stands for Jesus Christ, the world's going to turn against you. They're going to divide you out. I had a, a guy I worked with at work, and I had witnessed to him multiple times. And the poor sucker, he'd get in my truck. I knew he was lost, so I'd, I'd hammer him, you know, just enough to where I wouldn't get turned in about it. But I would, you know, I'll talk about it, witness to him. He'd ask me questions. Uh, well, I said, ask me. Why won't you take Jesus Christ? Just, T tell me why. I mean, I'm just curious. Why you hate Jesus? Why you don't want to take him? And then he told me why. Something he was mad about God with. So then I try to answer that question with Bible. Talk to him about the Lord. Talk about, he goes, well, nobody's ever told it to me that way. Nobody's ever explained it to me that way. Well, that's great. Did he come to Jesus Christ? No. No, he left mad. at this. As a matter of fact, when he rolled with other people, he would ask them, because they'd come and tell me. He'd ask me, he says, does Keegan talk to you about that religious nutty stuff with you? Or is it just me? I'm a religious nut. That's a good thing. <laughs> I'm glad to be a religious nut. I'm glad, to, I'm glad to be a religious nut. I really am. Because I've been everything else in my life. I'm glad to be saying, hey, he's a religious nut. As long as you know it's religious, it's not religion. It's religious for Jesus Christ. As long as you know it, yeah, because I'm in love with Jesus Christ, I can't shut up talking about him. It's just the same guy, if I'm riding with the same guy, and he gets in a truck, and he's found a new girlfriend, and he thinks this is the one he wants to marry, guess what I'm going to hear for eight hours? Oh, she's so wonderful, you wouldn't believe how she can cook. You want to have, but she's so beautiful, we went out here, we went out there. I had the same thing happen with these guys. Oh, I'm going to ask her to marry me next month. Oh, I can't wait. I'm a, what do you think I should do? They just talk on and on and on, because they're in love with this woman. I don't blame them. Now I've learned to tune it out. Oh, oh yeah. Because it gets old after a while. I'm in love with Jesus Christ. I can't help it. It comes out, right? When we're in love with Jesus Christ, 
If somebody says something bad about Jesus Christ or says something derogatory towards the church, and I love the church, I'm talking about born-again believers, I take offense to that. When they say, all preachers want is your money, that stirs me up. Then i got to say something about it. And I'll say something like, well, we don't pass an offering plate at the church. I'll try to defend the Lord. Why? Because I love him. And I love y'all. I love the church. It, it offends me for people to make fun of other Christians. It really does offend me. Christ says you're going to be divided. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. You're going to be, God's going to, you're going to be divided. That's okay. You're going to be persecuted, guys. And you're going to be persecuted by your family and your friends, your co-workers. Think about all the great men in the Bible. When I think about great men in the Bible, I think of David. I think of, of course, obviously, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I think of Paul. I think of Joseph. I think of Mo. What, where am I getting at with this? Every one of these great men of the Bible, including Abraham, were persecuted. Some of them by their very friends and family. Jesus Christ was persecuted by his family. Nobody was persecuted more by their family than Joseph. Sold in the, they were going to kill him. Then sold him away. Didn't care nothing about him. It all ended for good, amen. So if you're in the process of being persecuted by your family, your co-workers, God's going to work it out in the end. You'll win in the end. When I've been persecuted, and there's been times some people spread some very nasty rumors on me. They just come with this stuff, spread it out there. And I've seen how I said, God, I went to my prayer closet and I said, Lord, I can't control what people say. It's embarrassing. I, I, Lord, you know... If I've done something to offend them, Lord, will you please work? And man, when you sit back and let the Lord take care of it, man, the Lord takes care of it good. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, Lord, that's kind of too good. He kind of takes it serious. But of course, I'm his child. You're his child, right? You belong to Jesus Christ. Amen. You belong to him. That, okay. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. The second one you need to watch out for is the old devil. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So many Christians are, though. Paul says we're not ignorant of what Satan likes to do, but so many Christians are. So you need to be ready. The devil's going to attack you. He's going to attack you spiritually. He's going to attack you physically. He's going to attack you emotionally. He's going to play tricks on you. I can't tell you how many times my wife and I, in our marriage, have had something happen and we'll say, I think the devil's trying to get between us. We'll recognize it. She'll recognize it. I'll recognize it and say, hey, I think the devil's trying to get between us. There was something that was said that was uh, said at the wrong time that was, mis that was misunderstood and before long there's a disagreement and then you step back and you go, hey, that's something weird. You know, there's more than coincidences, brothers and sisters. You, a lot of the stuff you think, well, that's a coincidence. Why, it, why did that happen? I know somebody. I know somebody who was dating this girl. She told him she was raped by a guy one night. She confesses, oh, this guy raped me, blah, blah, blah. He goes to church the next day, and that guy's name was brought up to him. Never been brought to him before. That guy's, the guy would come up to him at church and brought that guy's name up to him. That guy was wise enough to say, mm, the devil's moving here. 
because I'm mad about it. I want to go kill that guy. And here I'm at church trying to serve the Lord, worship the Lord. And you're coming up here talking about this guy. I never heard this guy's name until last night. And he didn't fess up to what that guy, he'd heard that guy do. But he told that guy, hey, the devil's working. The devil can use you to talk to somebody. The devil can use people to talk to you. Even Christians? Yes. Peter, Lord, you're the Christ. You're the chosen one. You're the Christ. And then Jesus Christ says, I must go and be crucified. Matthew 16. What did Peter say? Nay, Lord, we're not going to let you be crucified. And what did Jesus say? Right at Peter. Satan, get behind me. Peter was saying something that was, Satan was speaking through Peter. You ever had that happen? You ever had somebody speak to you that was coming, that you know, hey, that's the devil talking. They don't even realize what they're saying. You even have something going on between you and God or the Lord or something. And then the, the devil, man, we're not ignorant. Look at verse 11. We are not ignorant of his devices. Satan's famous devices are, uh, number one is they try to keep you from being a Christian. We know that. His second, one of his second devices he likes to do is once you're a Christian, then he tries to keep you from being active as a Christian. He tries everything. He can. The devil's main purpose in the world, once you become a Christian, is don't get you in church, get you away from Bible-believing Christians, get you into a cult, get you into some kind of religion, push you off into the Roman Catholic Church, whatever he can do to get you away from serving God or being faithful to Jesus Christ in the Word of God, that's what the devil's going to do. And he's been pretty successful at it, hasn't he? And the third thing he'll do, now if you're a born-again believer and you find yourself somehow, some way, going over friends, going over family, going over the world and getting into a church and getting faithful and saying, you know what, I'm going to get in church, I'm going to stay in church. That's when the devil shows up and does his famous trick. He's going to try to destroy your testimony. All, any sin you committed, you could have been six years old, the devil's going to remind you of it. You'll be sitting in church and the devil will say, well, you remember when you were a teenager and you did this, that, and another? Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, and you call yourself a Christian. Yeah, you think, look at that. You think you're holier than they are. Oh, no, look at them. They think they're holier than you because they've never committed sin, but you know, you know what they did. You know that. That's the devil. That's always the devil. That's why we're not ignorant of his devices. You want a good book on this? I'll show you a good book. Now, this is, I'm going to curse you if I show you this book, right? This is a curse, not a blessing. This book's written by Thomas Brooks. This little book is a pilgrim's book, written in 1652. Your Bible's, your Bible's translated in 1611, this is 1652. This book is called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. <laughs> you can't read more than two or three pages of this because you've got to throw it down and go in the closet and repent because he shows you what the devil's doing to you. It's good. It's really good. There's something you're not going to find at a Christian bookstore when they were still open. It's too good for that. Because it will convict you. This book right here shows you all his devices. By presenting the bait and hiding the hook, by painting sin with virtues, colors, it goes on and on and on and on. He says, The strange opposition that I met with from Satan in the study of the following discourse hath put an edge upon my spirit, knowing that Satan strives mightily to keep these things from seeing the light that tend eminently to shake and break his kingdom of darkness. 
Guys, this is a great book. You want to know how the devil's attacking you? Read that book right there. It'll give you some good ideas. But the devil is attacking you. He's going to persecute you in every way he can. And he did all through the Bible. Look at, um, at Ephesians chapter 6. Turn to the right. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 11. I want to remind you what Paul wrote about this. We're not ignorant of his devices. We're not ignorant of his devices. And boy, he's got plenty of them. I think the famous saying is real popular and it's true. Is the best trick the devil ever played on the world is making the world believe he doesn't exist. And that's true, but for Christians, is they forget about him. We get so focused on the Lord, which is a good thing, we forget that the devil's out to get us. And Paul wants to remind you in Ephesians chapter 6, you've got to put on the whole armor of God, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The wiles of the devil. What does that speak to? Well, if you're like me, you grew up watching cartoons, it speaks to Wiley Coyote. <laughs> you remember how Wiley Coyote got after the Roadrunner? You remember all the tricks? He'd order in some new thing from Acme. And he'd come in and he'd, it'd be some kind of contraption. He'd build it up and it looked so cool. And it, he'd, he'd test it out and he'd come and saw something in half or something. And he'd be, ah. Oh. And then here comes the roadrunner. Beep, beep, beep. Here comes the roadrunner. And he'd try it out. And it always would turn on him, right? The wiles of the devil. So the best image you can have in your mind is I'm the roadrunner, full of the Holy Spirit, and the wily coyote's out to get me every day of the week. Every day of the week, he's out to get me. He's devising something. We're not ignorant of his devices. The devil's always ordering something from Acme. He's always trying to get something, some boulder to fall on you, something to trip you up. He's always coming up with something new. He's not trying the same thing over and over again. He's, if that doesn't work, the devil's one of the wisest beings God ever created. He'll try something else on you. The best way the devil gets me, I can't speak for y'all, the best way the devil gets me is emotionally. He tries to get me emotionally. He tries to play uh, tricks on my emotion. And we know that we're saved by faith. We're not saved by feelings, amen? But sometimes I wake up in the morning and I just, man, I wake up, I'm just in the wrong side of the bed. I wake up and I'm mad. What are you mad about? That I woke up? I don't know. I just am mad. If I, don't, I don't have a dog, I'd probably go out there and kick a dog. I'm just mad. I go to work, I'm mad. And the devil's messing with me. Because that's how I'm geared. I'm geared to be angry. That's just me. I'm, I'm a negative person. So the devil knows that. So what's the devil do? He's always, he puts stuff in there to make me negative. Make me negative. Make me negative. Some of you brothers and sisters, y'all are way too positive. And the devil will get you that way. You're always positive. You can't show any tough love. You can't, you can't say, hey, this is the truth. You're just, oh, everything will be okay. Everything will be okay. And then I'm in the background saying, oh, no, it's falling apart. It's falling apart. We need somebody to bring us to the middle. That's Jesus Christ. Balance us out. The devil will take advantage of you in your positivity. I'm thinking of Joe Osteen. There's nothing wrong with being positive. That's a brother that's way too positive. You can't smile that much for that long. Amen, you can't. Well, I mean, if you give me the millions and millions and millions and hundreds of millions of dollars he has, I might have a big smile on my face all the time too. The truth is, is 
You can't be mad all the time either. You can't be a, a, what I would call a, a Trump Republican that's going to, you know, until the world ends, that's what they're going to do. You know, they're just going to be mad at the world. You got to come in and say, it don't matter. Let's do something for Jesus Christ. The devil will use it against you. Every way, the wiles. Look at verse uh, 16. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you should be able to with quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. <laughs> some, some of y'all don't realize this, but you walk out this church, the devil's out there, and you just right in the back. What kind of fiery darts does the devil fire at us? Envy, jealousy. Well, he didn't speak to me. She, did you see the way she looked at me inside of her face? She didn't speak. To, uh, he didn't. I, you see how they talked to me? I, I didn't feel like I was just in whoosh, whoosh, the devil's just out there like Robin Hood. Just chop, 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 chop. You got to have that shield of faith. Amen. That's what, that's what he's talking about. So this whole armor of God, guys, is getting ready. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be persecuted by the world. You're going to be persecuted by the devil. One of my favorite stories, John Wesley's one of my favorite men of the Lord. And I know he's a Methodist. There's nothing wrong with being a Methodist. Now, the modern-day Methodists have, of course, backslidden so bad. But the, 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 the old-time Methodists, John Wesley, Charles Wesley, all of them, they preached fire, hell, brimstone. They preached the Word of God. For three days, John Wesley was out circuit riding, preaching, and nobody had thrown a rock, a brick, or an egg at him. For three days. And he's riding along, and he realized that. And John Wesley stopped his horse and said, I must be wrong with God. Something's not right. It's been three days. Nobody's thrown a rock, a brick, or an egg at me. He got down off his horse. He started praying to God. And he said, oh, God, please help me. If I've done something wrong, I repent of it. Show me, Lord, out of your Holy Spirit. And about that time, there was a man on the other side of the hedge. It knew it was John Wesley. looked over there and said, I'll fix him. Took a brick and threw it at him. And it went over the hedge and come over and missed, missed him. He opened his eyes. And he says, thank you, Lord. I know I'm right with you. It's a true story. Got up on his horse, and here we go for God. That's persecution. And if you're not getting persecuted, mm, you got to check yourself. Maybe you're not making a stand for Jesus Christ. The last one you need to deal with is the flesh, Romans 7. And I, I know we go to here a lot, but there's nothing wrong with reading this again. Romans chapter 7, verse 15. A lot of y'all know these verses by heart. If you don't, we're going to keep reading them anyway. If you do, we're going to keep reading them anyway because they're very important verses. A lot of Christians don't understand that they've got a spirit in the flesh. The Holy Spirit's living in you. Your flesh is still there. You're fighting it. It's a battle. But the flesh is going to, uh, the flesh is going to attack you. The flesh is going to persecute you. The flesh is going to tell you, when you try to make a stand for Jesus Christ, it won't be the devil. It won't be your friends. The first thing that's going to attack you is your flesh. How does your flesh attack you, Pastor? What's going to happen is when you need, when you, you say, you know what? I'm going to tell them about Jesus. I'm going to make a stand right now for Jesus Christ. The next thing that's coming to your mind is your mind, your flesh is going to say, don't do it. You'll get persecuted. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't have anything to do with it. Romans chapter 7, verse 15. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. This is Paul, greatest Christian ever lived. He's saying, that's what I want to go do, that's what I don't do. That thing I hate, that's what I go do. Why is that? Because of his flesh. 
If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. He's saying that it's showing that I know the law is good when I'm trying not to do it. Verse 17. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. You not only have Christ in you, you have sin in you. The dual nature. Brothers and sisters, if you're a born-again Christian, you're a new man in Jesus Christ. But you still got the old man. And the old man rises up. Let me explain it to you. You'll be in church. The new man, the new man will be singing to Jesus Christ. The old man will try to cuss. Those old familiar words. That's the old man. The old man living in you. Look at verse 18. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. Amen. What dwells in you, no good thing, except for Jesus Christ? What dwelleth in me? My flesh. So, Anytime you're doing a stand for Jesus Christ, whatever stand that might be, I've never defined it all together. It might be whatever you want it to be between you and the Lord. But when you make a stand for Jesus Christ, your flesh is going to fight you. It always tries to fight you. For, verse 19, For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. You're a sinner. That's just what it is. Man, you should have seen the looks on the people's faces when I was at Sister Alice's funeral and I, I mentioned everybody's, I got a bunch of rip, wicked sinners in here or something. I said it somehow like that. Oh, rotten sinners. I said, I know I got a bunch of rotten sinners in here. So y'all couldn't see the family. You thought I threw a bunch of, of water on them or something. Because a lot of them hadn't heard me or, you know, and they're just like, I'm not a sinner. I'm not a sinner at all, whatever, you know, it's like, man, I didn't mean to stir y'all, I, I should have, I wouldn't have said that if I know it was going to hurt the family at a funeral, I'm not trying to hurt the family, but the truth's the truth. If one of them would have said, I don't appreciate you calling me a sinner, I said, well, I'm a sinner. Romans chapter 7, verse 20, verse 16, the whole chapter, the whole Bible, <laughs> you're a sinner, that's why your body's going to die, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You're going to die because of your sin that was given to you by Adam. You're going to live, if you're going to live, in Jesus Christ. And it's going to be a gift. That's what that verse says, Romans 6, 23. So look at uh, Matthew 26. Matthew 26. I'm going to show you something what Christ says about this. Yeah, your flesh is going to fight you guys. I think you all know that. But I think you just need to realize it's your flesh doing it. Matthew 26, verse 41. It, your worst enemy is you. No doubt about it. My worst enemy is me. I wish I could be like a, what was that comedian? Uh, was it Red Skelton said, the devil made me do it? What was that comedian that said, the devil made me do it? Flip Wilson. Flip Wilson. Amen. The devil made me do it. Well, you can't say that. Right? Hmm. Maybe y'all know more than I do. You can't say the devil made you do it. You don't have a free will anymore? <laughs> you don't have a free will anymore? You can't tell the devil no? 
Yes, you can. You can. You can strive to be holy. Guys, I'm a Baptist. I'm more... I'm, I'm probably the strongest Baptist you're ever going to meet about eternal security. I believe once you got it, you can't get rid of it. You can't throw it away. You can't cast it away. God's got you. He's going to keep you. I've got the verses. I believe that's all my heart. You won't find anybody stronger about eternal security. But I also believe you need to strive to be holy. To be the best Christian you can be. Keep the flesh down. Do those things. When the devil leads me into temptation... He led me there, but I'm the one that drank. I did it. And I don't ever go to the Lord and say, Lord, the devil made me do this, and the devil made me do it. I go to the Lord, 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 forgive me, because I'm a wicked sinner. I'm sorry, Lord, I can't stop, I can't stop, I want to stop, Lord, give me the power. I don't ever blame the devil, I don't ever blame my friends, or my, my mama whipped me when I was a little kid, or my daddy didn't give me any attention. That's all a bunch of nonsense, it's me. It's all me. And for me to blame anybody else is stupid. Look at verse 41. Matthew 26, verse 41. Watch and pray, the Lord says. Now this is at the Garden of Gethsemane. He asked them to pray. Peter and them kept falling asleep. Of course, that's what we would do too, right? We'd fall right asleep. Watch and pray that ye enter not in temptation. Look, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's what your Lord said. Hey, you want to do it. You want to do it. You have full intentions of doing whatever it is. But the flesh is weak. And you might say to yourself, man, if I get an opportunity, I'm going to tell somebody about Jesus Christ. If anybody ever around me ever mentions something like that, I'm going to see if I can witness to them. And hey, praise the Lord. I get the same attitude. I get excited for the Lord. But boy, that flesh is weak. And you see an opportunity and you're like, uh, I'll just, I'll just, no, I, I don't know. And the world, and what does, what does your flesh tell you? You're going to be ridiculed. They're going to laugh at you. They're going to make fun of you. You really want them to laugh at you, make fun of you? They're going to call you a religious nut. You're going to be one of them kind of people. You're going to be a Bible, th and your flesh will deal with you, man. Amen. I mean, I'm dealing, I'm talking to you from experience, not from, hey, this might happen to you. It's happened to me hundreds of times, thousands, if you get to counting it up. Look at Acts chapter 13. Happened to some of the best of us, guys. Don't feel bad about it. If it happens to you, don't feel bad about it, brothers and sisters. You say, well, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of timid. I'm not really an outspoken person. That's fine. You make your stand how the Lord has you make your stand. But don't feel bad when you don't make a stand thinking, well, I'm just a sorry, no good Christian. We've all been that way. Anybody who tells you any different is lying to you. Paul himself was that way. Guys, uh, we're all going to make mistakes. It's not who falls, it's who gets back up. Uh, the Lord's going to have people on the battlefield, they're going to fall, and guys, you've got to pick up your gun, you've got to pick up your sword, you've got to say, okay, Lord, we're going to keep on fighting. I know I'm sorry, no good, but I'm not doing this for me. I'm not doing this to impress anybody. I'm doing this for Jesus Christ. Well, they're going to make fun of you. They're going to remind you what you did in the past. They're going to tell you you're, you can't be a Christian. They're going to say that you, this time, I remember when you used to go out drinking with us. I remember when you used to be a good old boy. I remember when you used to say, okay, fine, I was all that, but I'm for Jesus Christ now. Amen. And then when you fall, 
And they're going to laugh and make fun of you? I thought he was a Christian. Look at what they did. I, I heard him cuss. I thought he was a pastor. I thought he's a preacher. It's going to embarrass you. You're going to be ashamed. You're going to get down on your knees. You're going to ask the Lord to forgive you. But brothers and sisters, get back up. Why? Because we're still fighting. The battle's not over. Well, we had something like that happen with Mark and Paul. So in Acts chapter 13, look down at verse uh, we'll skip, the, uh, go to verse 5. Acts chapter 13, verse 5. Just get the context. When they were at Salamis, this is Paul. They're at Salamis. They preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had also John to their minister. Now John there, that's not John that you know out of your Bible, like John that wrote, John uh, uh, Barsoch. Uh, Barabbas, this is John Mark. John Mark is who he's talking about there. Because if you go down to verse, uh, verse 13, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Acts chapter 5, verse 13. Yeah, it wasn't long after that. Yeah, that's right. I've got it all confused in my mind. Now when Paul and his company loose from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John, that'd be John Mark, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. So what happened from verse 5 to verse 13? What happens everywhere Paul goes? He got persecuted. Paul got whipped. He got yelled at. Whatever happened, Paul, he got it. Because it said he went into the Jew synagogue. Man, boy, they didn't like that. I mean, we read all about that. Well, John Mark, he got a belly full of it the first time, and he said, I'm out of here. I'm going back. I'm heading back to Jerusalem. <laughs> I can't take this anymore. So turn to Acts chapter 15, the end of Acts chapter 15, verse 36. So Paul and Barnabas, uh, they were together and had John Mark with them. John Mark abandoned them. He just gave up. John Mark, he couldn't take it. Verse 36. Acts 15, 36. And some days after Paul said, after Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city, well, we have preached the word of the Lord to see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. There he is, okay? There's John Mark. So Barnabas wants to take him back. Let's take him with us again. Look what happens in verse 38. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia. We just read that. And went not with them to the work. He gave up. He gave up. He fell off. Have you ever fell out? Amen, I have. A lot. Just fell out, just backslid, gave up, didn't want to be persecuted. Verse 39, and the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from another. So Barnabas took John Mark, or Mark, and sailed to Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. And he went through Syria, Sicilia, confirming the churches. Okay, let's stop there. Paul and Silas, y'all heard of him? Yeah. There's lots of things. You, the, rest of the, the rest of the book of Acts is about Paul and Silas. What about Barnabas? Never mentioned again. That's it. Who do you think made the right decision? The Holy Spirit says Paul. Holy, Spirit, Paul, Holy Spirit's on Paul's side because the Holy Spirit followed Paul the rest of his ministry. What happened with Barnabas? We don't know. He took John Mark and that's it. John Mark wasn't right. There was something not right with John Mark. But, just like us, sometimes we fall out, we're doing something, 
And we want to serve the Lord, and the Lord says, no, not right now. I want you to get right with me. You want to do something for Jesus, you want to do something, the Lord said, no, not right now. I don't know how many, when I was down in Pensacola, around all those preachers, I don't know how many of those preachers wanted to be preachers so bad, and it was so obvious that they weren't ready. And the Lord wasn't calling them. I mean, it was, it, I was real sad because, you know, here's this brother. He's like, I want to serve Jesus, but he won't do anything for I, I want to serve the Lord. He won't do anything for us. And then there's men like me and some other people. They're like, I don't want to be here. I just feel like the Lord's making me do this. That's how the Lord works. But then there's some men that God calls and they're like Jonah and they run and hide. We're all, the, I've been in that group. I've been in every one of those groups. I just mentioned in my life as a Christian. And maybe you're in one of those groups right now. But God can use you. Look at 2 Timothy 4. Don't give up. The Lord don't ever give up on you. I promise you that. He always is ready for you to return. He's always ready to do something with you. I've seen it over and over again in my ministry where somebody would be knocked out, they get back up, keep on going. See, people love to make fun of Jim Baker. People love to make fun of Jimmy Swaggart. People love to make fun of these preachers. And I'm not saying they don't have coming. I'm not saying they don't deserve what they got. But these preachers at one time were preaching, were trying to preach the word of God, and somebody knocked them out. The devil got them, their flesh got them, the world got them. And they've tried to come back. And of course, they're ridiculed, they're mocked, it's a shame. But they have a right to come back, brothers and sisters. They're not serving you. They're serving a man named Jesus Christ. And the Lord says, I don't think like you think. My ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. And I've seen the Lord take a man that you think, man, he's out, he's on the shelf, God will never use him again, and lo and behold, here he comes. Brother Eubanks, great example. Brother Eubanks confessed a lot of stuff up here. If you were listening close to what Brother Eubanks was saying, he was saying, I got saved, I was serving Jesus Christ, I got on the drugs, I got off of drugs, I got right with God, I started serving him again. Did you hear that during the service? If you put two and two, it made four. Maybe you, maybe you didn't hear it in the right order, but two plus two is four. And what he was saying is, if you mess up like I messed up, God still can use you. He's up here going to Africa with prostate cancer. Brother Eubanks is over in Africa at this moment dealing with prostate cancer. Did he mention it from the pulpit? Not one time. It's about Jesus, guys. You want to be happy living in this world? Put your eyes on Jesus. And you say, well, I'm not worthy. I didn't do this. I can't do that. I didn't do this right. I, I messed up. The Lord will forgive you and bring you back. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9. Paul's writing at the end of his ministry. He's in prison right here. He says, do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. For Demas hath forsaken me. See, there's another one. It's forsaken Paul. How did he forsake Paul? Having loved this present world and departed unto Thessalonica. Christians to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. They're, they're, they're forsaken him. Demas forsook Paul. But look at verse 11. Only Luke is with me. That's the one that wrote the Gospel of Luke. Wrote the book of Acts. No, notice, only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee. For he is profitable to me for the ministry. Amen.
that God, in, that God put that into our Bible. That shows you a man like Mark that gave up, went back, wasn't right with God, and eventually, Paul says, that man, bring him, I want him. He's profitable me in the ministry. That's the same Mark. Don't give up. Brothers and sisters, do not give up serving and making a stand for Jesus Christ. He's worth everything we do. He's worth everything we do. There was a governor that persecuted Christians, and he would bring them in front of him. And he was, he was bemoaning the fact that this is what he wrote. He was bemoaning the fact that he brought this certain Christian to him, and he said, uh, I will banish thee. He was talking to the Christian in, in early Rome, and he, this Roman governor said, I will banish thee. This is what the Christian said. Thou canst not, for all the world is my father's house. <laughs> then he said, Then I will slay thee, said the governor. Thou canst not, for my life is hid with Christ in God. He goes, Well, I'll take away thy possessions. Thou canst not, for my treasure is in heaven. I'll drive thee away from man, and thou shalt have no friend left. The Christian's answer to that was, Thou canst not, for I have an unseen friend from whom thou art not able to separate me. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being our friend. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, Lord, you know we're simple people, Father, and we're readily admitting that we're sinners, that we don't do everything you want us to do, Lord God. We miss the mark. But, Lord, we, that don't mean we don't love you. That don't mean that we don't want to do something for you, Lord God. And we pray, Father, that you would give us the wisdom. Through your Holy Spirit, Lord God, give us the, the strength, the grace, Lord God, to pick ourselves back up, Lord. Pick us up, Lord. When we won't pick ourselves back up, Lord, get us back on our feet, Lord. Brush us off, Lord. Get us going in the right direction, Lord. We, we just want to serve you, Lord. Father, I pray, Lord, you'd make divine appointments, Lord, that we would run into somebody, Lord, where we could tell about you, Lord. Just give our simple testimony, Father. Tell them how good Jesus Christ has been for us, Lord, and that Jesus Christ is the best thing ever happened to us, Lord. Just give us an opportunity, Lord. And, Father, I pray, Lord, when that time comes, that the world won't knock us out, the devil won't knock us out, our flesh won't get us, Lord, that we'll be able to make that stand and have that real joy that comes with making a stand for you. And I pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, we'll close there, God. Hello, friends. This is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church of Indian Gap, Texas. If you'd like to contact us, you can do it at IndianGapBaptist.com. On the internet, it's IndianGapBaptist.com. But I have a question for you. If you died tonight, do you know if you would go to heaven? You know, if you're not sure, let me show you a few verses out of the Bible so you can know if you have eternal life. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So that verse tells us there that you can know you have eternal life. And I want to show you how you can know that. Jesus Christ talked in John chapter 3 verse 16. And most people have heard this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now that's an amazing verse, of course, talking about how God gave Jesus Christ as a gift to the world. But Verse 17 and 18, he went on to say something interesting. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the whole reason Jesus Christ came into this world was to save you and to save me and you. 
But in verse 18, he says something that's amazing. He says that he that believeth on him is not condemned. He's stressing a faith. It's putting your faith into Jesus Christ. But he says there in verse 18, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So he says you're condemned already if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ. It's not like you're going to go to heaven and you're going to stand before God and you're going to have God put your good deeds on the scale and your bad deeds on, on the other side of the scale and he's going to weigh it. And if you've been a good enough person down on this earth that he'll let you into heaven. It doesn't work that way. Jesus Christ is real explicit here to say that you're condemned already. You need a Savior right now. Same chapter down in verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. It goes back to a believe, putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the verse continues, And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. See, it's going on right now. You need a Savior right now. You need to be saved from a devil's hell. Paul sums it up real good here in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's putting your faith in Jesus Christ from the heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's very important to confess Jesus Christ because the mouth shows where the heart's at. And in verse 13, he sums it up, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So friends, as simple as just bowing your head and saying a prayer, something like this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you can came up from the grave and are alive right now listening to me. I invite you into my heart to save me. Please save me, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you prayed something similar to that, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at IndianGapBaptist.com. And God bless you. And until next time. Casting all your care upon him.